0: Sales Tuners, episode 57, Paul Dean, outbound BDR manager at z
1: Just because someone's in a manager role doesn't mean that they are above coaching or don't need another pair of eyes or another set of ears on any kind of calls.
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from, from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's SalesTooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Brene Brown, who said, imperfections are not inadequacies. They are reminders that we're all in this together. Joining me today on the show is Paul Dean, outbound BDR manager at ZLean, a construction payment platform for preliminary notices and mechanical liens. He's held multiple roles in sales, but has also taught high school and college students, worked in publishing, and even managed a shipping warehouse. To say Paul is a jack-of-all-trades, well, may be an understatement, especially considering he's the first guest on the show that holds a master's of fine arts in creative writing. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 57. But now, Let's get to the conversation where Paul talks about how his fascination with storytelling helped create the narrative that got him into sales.
1: I grew up in Mississippi, so I was always kind of fascinated with storytelling and kind of narrative in both just life in general. So I always wanted to be a writer, still kind of write on the side, whether it's content for sales or um, working on my, my master's thesis a little bit more to finish it out into a book. But and I think that's translated over fairly well into sales in that it's good to always tell a narrative to your prospects. Um for example, a lot of times we're on the phone with somebody and you can sense um some hesitancy in their voice, well I don't know if this this solution might be good for me, but if you have that that social proof, hey, we worked with this contractor, concrete contractor in Florida. They saw 25% um, you know, more cash in the door. I was talking to them last week and, you know, now they're a successful user on the platform. Even that kind of Small snippet of storytelling helps to to push a prospect forward and and sell something to them, whereas they may not think it's you know directly sales, but it, it helps them out in in moving forward in the buying stage.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned contractors. Talk to me more about uh, Z What is that? And and what does a typical customer actually buy from you today?
1: we were founded by a construction attorney who is still the ceo he saw a problem as an attorney um how convoluted payment is in construction that there's so many given parties on a job like for example i was reading a statistic with the like national association of, of home builders i think the other day there's an average of 22 people on a, a residential you know project meaning that there could be subcontractors that are plumbers you know me- mechanical engineers whatever and all those people may not know who who is on the job related up to it whether it's the owner the general contractor managing the project and payment has to filter down also depending upon the state you know there's there's different remedies to help get paid faster the good thing about our software is it helps track those lien laws and digest it for an average business owner so that they can get paid faster because what a mechanic's lien does is it's actually filed on the property itself to make sure that a contractor doing work can be paid successfully. But a lot of times there's prerequisites or notices or things that have to be sent to all parties on the chain. So our software kind of helps digest that lien law and also make sure that everyone's paid fairly and that there's more transparency on a successful construction project.
0: Paul, you told me a little bit about how, you know, you transferred this masters in fine arts and creative writing and how that plays into a narrative into sales. But talk to me about how you actually got into sales. Take me way back. What did that look like? Because you talked about high school and college uh, teaching and publishing. How did you actually get into sales?
1: I started in sales as like a retail clerk in a bookstore just in college. I worked in three different bookstores in three different states over college and, and grad school over a number of years. And it's definitely a customer facing role where you're on the floor, you know, selling uh, customers, you wear a lot of hats. And maybe customer service, sales, even a little bit of account management, where you have some regular customers coming in. So you're interacting with a lot of people. And the good thing is, you have to actively try and sell people books, which is pretty hard these days because yeah, sure. people don't. Many people don't read, and so they may be looking for an actual book where somebody's never read a book. Um, so and and there's little motivation or monetary compensation a lot of times, other than that. You, you helped brighten someone's day. You helped um, make their life better by selling them something and you may not know until after the fact until they actually finished the book. So that's that's an interesting thing with, that I, I found about it. But also I'd say whether it's finishing that creative writing de- degree, I moved into a sales role where I was a Southeastern sales rep for a publishing company where I had a territory that I was calling into. And it was kind of old school sales role. I, I would I would compare it to Maybe the office, if you've seen that, where there's maybe some outdated CRMs, there's old accounts that have kind of been dead. You're you're working an existing book of business, and you're constantly calling them to order again or um, make sure that they're buying rather than getting any monthly recurring revenue or annual recurring revenues.
0: So, were you more like Jim Halpert or Dwight Schrute back then?
1: <laughs> I would I would hope Jim Halpert, <laughs> um, but. I I uh, don't know that I would be as weird as Dwight Schrute, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good. So you you've had uh, multiple roles now in sales. You've been an SDR. You've been an AE. You've managed the outbound team of BDrs, which is what you do now. But one of the reasons why you and I got in touch is like you know you talked about how to how and why to create an SDR playbook. So I want to just kind of dive into that. Like, why should I create one? When should I do it? And, and and then we'll talk later about what to actually include. But why should I create an SDR playbook, and when's the right time?
1: I started outbound myself, just prospecting to accounts in the mid market and enterprise, and there wasn't a lot to go on internally, so I basically had to to look to LinkedIn to look to sales leaders to see what what was going on, how people were attacking that market and i was and I was thinking to myself, Well, what if I just create my own version of this and see how it works and it was something that i that constantly updated, made sure that uh, after every quarter well. Or maybe even every every month. This isn't working. Let's change this or change this around. Whether that's prospecting email templates, customer facing objections, you know how uh how to engage in a cold call, a discovery call, a qualification call, those kind of things. How it's a successful handoff to account management. But just kind of questions that I had, where it was like, well, if I go into this call with this CFO or this credit manager, how's it going to go? I have to plan out the call and then that would be something that I would want to know as a new rep coming in. So that's kind of how it started. It was as I was just thinking about the process and writing it down, I guess.
0: And so, but you created this yourself. So how do you make that live outside yourself? How do you make that repeatable and, and, and scalable?
1: I would start hiring BDRs. I would track the progress based on, you know, engagement, how they were doing onboarding of the, um, the, the playbooks that had, onboarding timelines, had coaching timelines. And it was kind of an A-B test at first because one rep got kind of a shottier version of the playbook, whereas the next one got a better version of it. But it kind of worked out well enough because the, the first guy was a little bit more scrappy and had some more account executive experience. So he was a little bit better at prospecting, could better pick up on those things. And we could do some more one-on-one coaching, whereas the later reps had kind of a, you know, playbook that could be thrown in, in front of them and a lot of questions could be answered. So that was kind of the best metric to track it so far. But also we had, you know, metrics that were in there, whether it's in order to hit your quota, you need to produce, for example, 15 sales qualified opportunities per month, those kind of things.
0: One of the things that I liked that you said, Paul, is that this has to be a living document, right? You said at the end of the quarter, end of the month, whatever, you're constantly revisiting this. I think too many people, they kind of like say, well, we just create it and then it sits on the shelf and never gets touched again. And you do, you have to go back to it and say what's working and what's not. So how are you doing that with the entire team? Are you getting input from everybody? Like what's that process look like?
1: We're very good at that in in that We have something every day called our daily stand-up that we say, hey, this is working. This is what I'm testing. This is not working. Somebody will draw from that. Hey, I'll try that. Can you send me that script? So we're constantly rewriting scripts, messaging, those kind of things, depending on who we're targeting, but also who we're going after messaging, all those kind of things. So I think that that's one thing that we're constantly doing is revisiting that. But to go back to the actual playbook, I guess I got the idea... Even before that, from when I was in the, the old school sales role, of the um, publishing companies, there was a, a living document that had been written years and years ago. And I kept looking at it while I was on sales calls and I was like, well, this isn't true. This doesn't work anymore. This doesn't work anymore. So I kept deleting things, <laughs> off the, but I wasn't, I wasn't adding anything new. So I think it's a living document that both everyone can access and add to at any point. But I do like to hear their input, input just to make sure it's not just... Well, I heard this objection once. Let's just change this. So, we do have a process for hey, try it for a week or so, try it, get some statistics on it, get some data on it, and then let's change it. It is a living document. Like you said, it can be changed at any point, but we do like to have a sprint where you can at least track some metrics on it rather than changing it all the time.
0: Yeah, I like hearing that. Because, as you said, I mean, anybody could come and say, well, this didn't work for me. And so, therefore, it doesn't work at all. And that's just not the case. So, One of the sections, if you will, that that you've talked about is the ideal customer profile. And I don't know why, but this seems to be one of the hardest things for companies to come up with because nobody wants to actually niche down. Can you talk about that? Like, what have you guys found to be successful in creating that ideal customer
1: profile? I like to think of a, a distinction between ideal customer profile and then your core customer profile, because this quarter we're focused heavily on our core customer, which is I think a little bit different than our ideal customer or what we had in mind for our perception of an, of an ideal customer, meaning that you know we wanted to attack mid-market enterprise companies that can kind of help you land and expand quickly and get that nice hockey stick growth, whereas you may ignore the people that are coming inbound that may be uh, smaller customers, but that you can repeatedly scale and even mimic on the outbound side. So I think the ideal customer profile that we may have set forth in the beginning May not be necessarily what our core customer is. So I think our core customer is a little bit focused more on the, the SMB market. But in order to define that, I think you have to experiment a little bit. For example, you know if we're signing a, a lot of customers that are smaller contract value, and we can repeatedly get five to twenty of those a week, then that's who you should pursue. That's who you should lean into. I think.
0: It seems to me like when I'm talking to people, they they're adverse to the idea because they think that they can go after everybody. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was talking to somebody the other day that said, well, our two audiences are B2B and B2C. I was like, oh, really? That, that's it? Just those two and you're good? It was just fascinating to me. I'm like, no, how about let's go, let's break down B2B and talk about a very specific vertical that you can get into so that you can create, as you talk about, this ideal customer profile or even the core customer profile, but then understand what the things are that they need to know and hear and see and learn about in order for them to become customers. Let's move on from ideal customer for to talk about this qualification and the process maps that, that you create. You talked about earlier, just creating templates around prospecting, cold calls, discovery, you know, objection handling. So I want to talk about that. Like, how are you guys today opening up new opportunities with prospects from an outbound perspective?
1: We're using more industry data to open up conversations in that we'll look into construction projects that are actively going on, see who participants are on that. and. Actively engaging with them, you know, saying, "Hey, I noticed that you guys are on a project, an active project. How is that project going? Is it successful?" And kind of open up a dialogue from there. The other thing is, we'll also reengage some recycled leads. I think a lot of times we throw away leads too early, both from the inbound and the outbound side. Because I know that successfully we've gone back to years, we've gone back to leads a year or so later, and just because it was the, a bad fit at that time, reengaging them. There may be turnover in staff. There may be company shifting, they may have gotten burned on the project, that where we can go back and open up the conversation. That's the good thing, I think, is how we're opening up a lot of more conversations, specifically in the SMB market.
0: So when you're doing that, are you referencing that you'd previously talked to them or are you just considering it a brand new conversation?
1: I think it would depend on the lead, for example. And a lot of times, if a specific person that was working the lead and you see in the notes in Salesforce that maybe that it went south, it may not be the best option to to mention that it may be best to have a new conversation especially if it's a new rep because then you don't have any bad blood or you don't have any leftover memories of what was going on before i'd say for the most part we're probably just starting it as a new conversation because for all intents and purposes they need to be requalified anyways you know just because there's salesforce notes in there from a year or two ago all those things may not be the case anymore so i think it's good to just even ignore those use them as a base but kind of reopen the conversation do some requalification
0: what does qualification mean to you in your playbook that you've now written for for your team how do you guys actually qualify a prospect to become
1: an opportunity we have a modified version of bant but it's specific to construction industry called builder one of the indicators of that is a, a pain point but not always sometimes there's a solution sale where it may just improve their process which in some ways is a pain point but it may be a little bit hard to uncover but I think it's always good to have the pain point to lean into or someone that's proactively looking to grow their business or change the way that it's been doing in the past. I think a lot of SaaS and a lot of SaaS products are competing against you know, manual options that were the past. So sometimes it takes a little bit new or younger people to see that their current process is inefficient and they do need to get a tool in place to either solve a pain point or uh, just grow the business, make it one up. Talk
0: to me about when you are getting uh the qualification like how do you open them up or get that prospect to open up and tell you what's actually going on it seems to be it's becoming harder and harder as prospects become more guarded with the information they have so how are you getting them to open up and actually reveal the real
1: pain one of the things that we've always been good at is empathy um particularly with people you know payment is is a very tricky subject because everyone wants to be paid whether it's for work you've done or um, work you're currently doing. So I think it's hard for them to to get to admit that there's a problem in some ways. But when we ask questions that are open-ended, like, tell me more about that. What's one thing that could be improved? How do you guys think that you're going to solve this? So those kind of questions get them to think about it in a way that pulls apart the pain point in their own mind, rather than you having to attack the pain point specifically. So that it almost begins to be their idea that they need a solution to to fix this. A lot of times when you think the problem out, even in just in daily life, like you realize that this is maybe bigger than I thought, that I need to get something in place to solve it. And a lot of times when that's successful, you can ask as many questions as you want. And eventually they will cut you off and ask for a demo rather than you having to ask for it.
0: One of the things that really stood out to me in the article that you had written was about this idea of battle cards that you create for the competition. Tell me more about that. What's that
1: entail? So that kind of happened the same way with the playbook is I would keep getting these objections about service providers or in-house processes or these other things. And I was like, how do I answer these questions? So, you know, I'm sure new sales reps or anybody that gets a new objection, if you don't know If you're not prepared for that objection, you kind of get shut down and the call just kind of goes to hell. So you have to figure out ways to get some intelligence on that and have those in front of you going into a call or on a call and saying, well, I know this about that that company. Tell me more about how how they're doing this or what do you like about that company? Knowing in the back of your mind that these are the things that you can solve, they don't. I think that's kind of how it started is, you know, these were specific companies that were not necessarily competing with us, but they had been the provider for these construction companies for years and years and years. And it's hard to immediately supplant those, but also you don't want to throw somebody under the mud, but you can also know how your product or your solution can supplant them, I think in some ways. So I think pulling out issues and helping them differentiate yours from, from their current process is good. Specifically, when you have you know a one sheet or a one page uh, report on what they are doing, because most of them that we had com- that we competed with, uh, you know, nothing was changing, so it was fairly easy to get intelligence on them. SaaS companies may be a little bit different, but the the information is a lot more public, I think, so that's the good thing.
0: There's been a, quite a few things that in my career, I used to work for Oracle, and they had an entire sales enablement division that this was their entire job, is to go out there and do like, to, to be clear, the guy leading this initiative, we used to be former military intelligence. So he, he, <laughs> oh, wow. he literally would go out and like, he would acquire information, Eh, maybe through some means that weren't uh, always the, the best, but it provided us this concept of a battle card that you're talking about. So we knew every talking point around each one of our competitors. And, and the same thing, like, like you said, we were going to throw anybody under the under the bus or under the mud. Like we just wanted to know what it was so that we could point it out. Say, hey, Mr. Customer, are you experiencing X, Y and Z? Oh, you are. That's interesting because we do A, B and C. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know that was possible. So I I, I really like that idea of the battle cards. The last thing that I want to talk about really is is metrics, right? So you've told me, you know, you, you come from a creative writing background, very much a non-metrics driven person, but you guys kind of have a motto there at Zeline, know your metric, do it every day. What's that meant to you?
1: We have two separate screens that are in the are what's called our revenue bay. So we have like our our customer success or user success department, our marketing and our sales department all in, in one uh, room in an open office uh, setup, and we also have two screens that say, you know, here's the, the customer review that we have for today, for today, and here's the customer count we have for today. And both of those are trying to get to five every day, so everyone can look at those boards at any point in time and see where we're at on that for the whole revenue department. For the individual sales department, we have a goal of getting. 20 sales qualified opportunities per day, meaning that we call somebody, they're interested in what we have, they want to talk or we move them immediately into a demo, whether that's inbound or outbound. So we move that to the engaged stage. So we are looking for 20 SQOs or 20 engaged opportunities per day because that helps us to generate enough pipeline each day to make sure that we're looking to hit our quota.
0: How big is your team that's required to get to 20 sales qualified opportunities per day?
1: So we have about, I think, five AEs on the inbound side and two MDRs and uh, three outbound reps. So I think it's, what is that, around 10 or so. We're looking for each person to get around three sales qualified opportunities per day. But the good thing is if if some days you'll hit three by noon and some days you'll be there at 430 and you have one. So the day's not over until we get 20 as a team.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, like you said, it is a team. There's, There's an individual number, but you are working together as a team, right? So if someone gets four, you know, they're making up for you, but you know that. You know that they made up for you, and that's the reason why everybody was allowed to leave for the day.
1: One good thing that we've helped to institute to generate a lot of that is we have a power hour, basically from three to four every day, where we're just calling down, getting as many calls in as we can, trying to get 25 calls, and trying to get the most number of qualified opportunities in that. And the person that wins each day gets five bucks that they can either put in their pocket or put into a communal pot that we can go get drinks after one day.
0: You're part of a startup. You're scrappy. You guys have all kind of moved back to being full cycle reps. So what's that meant to you having to go back and forth from being you know a coach to now being the player again?
1: It means that I need some more sales coaching myself, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. So we have actively, we do have some, some sales consultants that we work with. So it's always good to review calls with them, but also review calls amongst the team. So I think a lot of times we feel that we can only review calls with managers, but I think I've sent calls, you know, laterally across to other A's and say, Hey, can we sit? I need some other ears on this. You know, uh, I don't know what to do at this deal stage. I think that's the good thing is there's anybody can, can have coaching at any and also. The good thing is that I've had other people review pipelines with me. I think that's that's the most important thing is that just because someone's in a manager role doesn't mean that they are above coaching or don't need another pair of eyes or another set of ears on any kind of calls.
0: Paul, I've got to take a quick break so we can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners. You don't go away either. We'll be right back. PipeDrive is the sales CRM built by salespeople for salespeople. I love it because it allows me to visualize my pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ensuring I don't drop the important activities and conversations needed. And the managers I work with love it because it's simple, and they don't have to nag their team to actually use it. But SalesSooner's don't just take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself for free for 30 days at SalesSooner's.com/pipedrive. back and it's time for the money round. Paul, are you ready for the money round? Yep, I am ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: I would say in the beginning, staying 30 minutes after the normal 5 p.m. hours and always being prospecting or looking for leads.
0: If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing?
1: I would say Take take a step back and and look and listen to calls as much as possible and and kinda help and enable reps as much as can as I can.
0: Two part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose.
1: I'd say I hate to lose. I think we get apathetic to win sometimes, but you do need the pain of losing in order to stay motivated as much as I hate it.
0: (laughs) Paul, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others?
1: One of the, the best books the last couple years has been Trish Bertuzzi's uh, SDR Playbook. That's kind of my go-to Bible for new reps, but also it's just a good overview of qualification and discovery calls.
0: Sales Tuners, if you would like to check out Paul's recommendation of the SDR Playbook by Trish Bertuzzi for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Paul, what's currently at the top of your bucket list?
1: I'd say last year I attended Saster for the first time, but I've yet to attend a sales-specific conference, so I think that's one thing that I want to do this year, for sure.
0: What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales sooners out there grinding today?
1: Stay motivated each day, and just because you can get a no, it may not be the end no, and there's there may be other no's that you can, or that you can get, so keep calling into the company. Other thing is I, I don't get many phone calls from salespeople. I get a lot of emails and people ignore the phone. So I, I'd say don't ignore the phone.
0: <laughs> I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you today if they wanted to?
1: I would say LinkedIn is my go-to source. I'm taking a little bit of a break from, from other social media. Or if you're down in New Orleans, come see me. We'll get a drink. I like it. Paul, thanks so
0: much for joining me today.
1: Thanks a lot, Jim. <laughs>
0: Paul is such a down-to-earth guy, and I love that he's one that when he sees a need for something, he just fills in the gaps himself. I enjoyed many of the articles I've read of his, and I was very excited to get him on the show. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, playbooks are living documents. Cold call scripts, prospect email templates, ideal customer profiles, objection handling, competitive differentiation, whatever you choose to include in your sales playbook should never be written in pen. Either monthly or, at worst, quarterly, you need to revisit the elements to see what remains true and what needs to be changed. Anyone participating in the sales process should get a voice in the matter as they have perspective you may not be privy to. Number 2. Let your prospect discover the solution Whether you're selling into Greenfield, replacing a competitor, or providing an alternative to an existing manual process – you'll always be better suited to let a prospect discover the solution to their problem than by forcing a presentation down their throat. I've often said the best presentation you'll ever give is the one your prospect never sees. Think about that as you put together your questioning strategy. Number three, no one is above coaching. MJ, Kobe, LeBron, what do those names have in common? For one, they're three of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. For two, They all have coaches, and oftentimes they've even personally hired additional coaches to work on specific things in their game or within their body. I don't care how successful you've been, seeking out coaching can be huge for your career. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe,
1: rate, and review us on iTunes.
0: And they stay there. And they stay there. And they stay there. Because all I do is sleep, sleep, sleep. And if you go in here, put your hands in the air, make them stay there. If milk goes bad, if it's not refrigerated, Why doesn't it go bad inside the cow?